Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada's Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. John, welcome. Uh, it's great to be here. It's great to be here. And you know, we have a real special program today. I've known this gentleman for some 22 years. Yeah. His name's uh, Reverend or Dr. Carson Pugh, better known as Carson to me, but... Uh, uh, he's coming to share with us, and he has such a, a wealth of, of leadership background, but he's, what he's going to share with us today is about the loss of his wife, Brenda, and what an incredible journey, 588-day journey that he'll talk about uh, through her diagnosis of cancer to her death. But we look forward to doing that in a few moments. But right now, John, would you take us into the Word? Yes. Um, I want to talk about uh, believers and death. Uh, which will seem like an interesting subject to a many of you, because those of you who are watching this might say, you know, I've had a diagnosis and I don't know that I'm going to live, or you maybe are walking with a loved one through this, or you're still working at healing through the death of someone. So I want to say a couple of words that might be of encouragement. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, the Apostle Paul says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now, it may seem to you and I that when we've walked through death, and I've had a number of very close, dear friends that have passed away, my father and my mother have passed away, I've wondered about those words. I mean, how is it that death should have lost its sting because it seems to have stung me so very, very deeply? Um, I wish that when I went to seminary, I had been able to take a class on heaven and the afterlife and the process of dying, but that didn't happen. But it was only after being in pastoral ministry for some period of time that I began to investigate how it was possible for Paul to say that death had lost its sting and how it's possible for us to do that as well. So I want to start at the beginning. I want to ask a question and I want to answer it as well. Why is it that believers die? Look, I get it. The Bible is very clear that with the coming of sin into the world came death at the same time. So death has come to the whole human race because of sin, but Romans 8 verse 1 tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ died for our sins. And if Christ died for our sins, we're forgiven, and we are. And if Christ died for our own sins, he's made an avenue for us to be in the Father's presence, which we have. We've been given eternal life already. So if all of those things are true, how can it possibly be then that believers would still die? Has Christ not died for us? Now, that's a question that I struggled with a great many years, and I was determined to find the answer from Scripture. And I found out to my surprise the Scripture does give an answer to that. Let me read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. It says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. And then later on in the same, uh, same chapter, uh, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say that we are to endure all hardship as discipline. The Lord is treating us as his sons. Now, please understand the difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment is meted out in consequence of our sin, but our Lord Jesus Christ, when he died for us, bore the punishment of our sins, and we bear those sins no more. None of us dies as punishment for our sins. Christ died on our behalf. But here's what the writer of Hebrews says, God still in his infinite wisdom gives hardship and even death to believers so that he might discipline us, disciple us, train us. Now, here's the question. 
How does death then disciple us? See, that's the question I brought to the text of Scripture and as I continued to study on my own. And here's one of the things that I found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul writes in this passage that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, we've got to think about that for just a moment. Now, Paul says we're sharing in the resurrection of Jesus, but we share in his sufferings, then we share in his death, and then we are united with him in his resurrection. In other words, out of discipline for us, out of training us in the life of godliness and maximizing our joy for eternity, God in his infinite wisdom has allowed us to be united with Christ in all things. Now, you think about that for just a moment. Christ wants us to share fully in his life, and his life does include suffering. And his life did also include death on a cross. So out of his grace and mercy for us, Christ allows us to be united with him in his death. Let me give you an example of that. You know, a number of years ago, I remember when my first daughter moved out of the home and she had started life on her own and she came back one day and she said, hey, mom and dad, did you know how expensive, she said, groceries are? And I shot back immediately and I said, no, are they expensive, honey? I never knew that until this very moment. And she laughed and we did as well. But my point and hers as well as we talked about that is she had never really come to a realization as a child, look, mom and dad were paying for the groceries all those years out of love for her. We didn't want her to pay us back. That wasn't the whole issue. We wanted her to understand that we just loved her that much. And see, here's the thing. When we encounter our own death, we should remember that Christ chose death on his own, on our behalf. And therefore, as he died, we also are given the opportunity to die so that in eternal ages, we'll say to him, I never knew what death meant to you until I went through it myself and tasted it myself. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for tasting this death for me. Why, that's amazing. And in fact, that is the purpose of our own death, so that we might be unified with Jesus in everything. He gives us death as a gift. Now, when I think about that, I now take us to Philippians chapter 1. And watch this, verses 21 to 23. Watch what Paul is saying. He says, for me to live is Christ, and to die, he says, is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, there's a lot I would like to say about heaven. Heaven has a lot to teach us. There is an intermediate state in which we die, and at death, what happens is our soul or our spirit is torn from our body. The body dies, the spirit continues to live, and there is an intermediate state where we're transported into the presence of God, and that's better by far. But if we are to die before the coming of Christ, there is an intermediate state in which we await the resurrection of our body. Paul's anticipating the glories to come, and here's where heaven means so much to me. When we study it fully and understand the concept, the way it's given, we begin to long for it so deeply that we might say, if death is the portal, 
in which I identify with Christ, how I long for the resurrection to come after that. And so for believers, even though we face death in the bitterness of it, we never face it alone. We are being united with Christ in it. And that's why death has lost its sting. Hi, and welcome back to Truth and Life today with uh, Dr. John Newfeld and our friend Carson Pugh. And uh, let me just let me just share a little bit more about you, Carson, before you share with us, uh, Doctor and Reverend Carson Pugh. And uh, you you continue to be a, a global speaker uh, in respect to leadership and mentoring. Uh, you wrote a book called Mentoring Leaders: Wisdom for Developing Calling, Character, and Competency. I own that book. It's a great book. Uh, you're a father, a businessman, a pastor, a past executive director of Charles Swindoll's Insight for Living, another ministry I know well, and uh, CEO of Aero Leadership. And now you're the special assistant to the president uh, of Trinity Western University, a gentleman we both esteem well, a good friend, Bob Kuhn. And amongst the many experiences of leadership that you have and opportunities God has privileged you with, um, part of your story uh, is also a difficult one, and that's the journey that you went through with the passing of Brenda, your wife, uh, of cancer on August 12th, 2015. Uh, Carson, amongst the many, many things you could be sharing with us today, we're asking you to share uh, something that's very difficult, obviously, and continues to be, uh, but you share about an incredible woman, a wife, a mom, a grandmother, and, uh, and all she meant to you. Uh, but I think it, it, it's so important for us to be able to share these things to help others uh, through this journey and recognizing, you know, the, those things that they're going to go through, the things that they can hold on to. Uh, but maybe, could you share a little bit of your journey uh, in respect to Brenda? Well, the, getting a call uh, from a doctor who's indicating that they've noticed something unusual uh, is unsettling at the best of times. Um, Brenda, at that point, she would have presented as like one of the healthiest people on the planet. She exercised, she ate properly, she, you know, just um, wouldn't anticipate that it was anything uh, great. But it turned out to be uh, finding um, a tumor about the size of a golf ball in her lung. It had already metastasized to her bone and to the brain. So it was classified as stage four uh, lung cancer and uh, not a good uh, prognosis in terms of the future forward. Um, the, when they had finished doing, we went through about 11 days of testing where they're actually trying to, in some ways, eliminate the fact that it, maybe it's not cancer. But when uh, the final decision was going to be made, our whole family gathered into uh, the doctor's office, a specialist in this area. She had a very tiny office, actually. Wasn't expecting our whole clan to appear there. But it was at that time that she said that we it's definitive. It is, um, it is cancer. Um, she showed us all the places that it was. And when I went into that meeting, I was thinking in my head about how I don't want to ask the question, how much time are we talking about? <laughs> but when I was there, it just kind of blurted out of my mouth because um, it was like somebody rolling a small-scale nuclear device into our family. And 
and it's going to go off, and I just want to know when. Um, and the doctor very carefully said, you know, approximately 150 days um, would be the average uh, for this stage that it was at. And, um, and Brenda's response was, with her big smile, she said, you don't number my days. Uh. And, um, and, you know, that one little comment actually started to set a stage for us as a family in journeying with Brenda through this yeah. whole process. So. Yeah. Now, help us a little bit more with that. Uh, you don't number my days. Uh, what, what should that mean, or what did that mean to her? Well, what that, what that meant for Brenda is that she actually is looking to God, and Scripture tells us that um, God is the one who numbers our days. He knows the days appointed to us uh, even before we are born. Since he's knit us together in our mother's wombs, he actually knows the time. So Brenda was saying to the doctor, you're, you're not the one um, who numbers my days. And she also, she didn't want to receive that as, uh, I was going to say like a curse on her to say, oh, I'm only going to live 150 days. Yeah. Brenda was saying, God, um, this is up to you. And very early on uh, after that, uh, that meeting, Brenda was praying and she very clearly sensed the Lord saying to her, this is not about you, it's about me. Mm. And that gave a framework through which Brenda was going to approach this, going, this is not about me, this is about God, and I don't know how God is going to use this. Yeah. Uh, but that's how she viewed it. Yeah, yeah. So how did that uh, start to shape your journey a little bit? Is it, was, it, was there, obviously there were times that were more difficult than others. Did it, did it impact your own faith journey? Well, I, I would say my answer directly to the question is yes and no. Um, we had a gathering where we, after this diagnosis, we, um, some friends allowed us to gather as a family away on a retreat. And we had all of our adult children there, all of our grandchildren there. And uh, that one evening, Brenda began, after the little ones were in bed, Brenda began to talk to all of us about her death. Mm -hmm. And the and as I was listening to her talking to our adult children who are, you know, we're struggling. This is not the kind of conversation you want to be having with your mom. Uh, and as I was listening to her, I found myself getting angry. And the anger was, we should not be having this conversation. Yeah. Um, this is a woman who has served you, has served God all of her life. Um, has had an incredible ministry. We should not be having this conversation. And it built in me to the point where I had to excuse myself from the room. And I went into my bedroom and I started yelling at God. Hmm. And my, my cry out to him was, I said, you, know, you think this is a good idea? This is not a good idea. I was yeah. trying to tell him this, this is not the thing. And I just was... I ranted. I really let him have it. And, uh, and in the midst of that, I felt this peace come over me and, and God reminding me by saying, Carson, trust me. And when he said, trust me, my understanding of that was, trust me regardless of the outcome. And I realized that as a pastor, as a leader of Christian leaders, that I... I frequently am okay trusting God as long as it's going my way. Yeah. 
John, the whole idea of being angry with God in, in circumstances like this, I mean, how do we understand that? Is that an okay thing? Well, in one sense, it's not. But on the other hand, God knows of the weakness of our flesh. We, we don't stop being human when we meet the extremities of life. Um, and there is something wonderful about the nature of God. God is holy and to be revered. And his ways are just and ours aren't. Yeah. Uh, but our voice cries out and God does care. Yeah. I think that's the answer to that. I, I, there's no clear answer, but we continue to be human in our relationship to our God. Yeah. You know, um, I was very stirred when you did your series on heaven. And uh, uh, we're going to talk about heaven a little bit more. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about Brenda's life and, and the response to that. But uh, Carson, thank you so much for being here and sharing what you're sharing now. And we'll continue to share more right after this message. Hi, and welcome back to Truth and Life today with uh, Dr. John Newfeld and our special guest, Carson Pugh. Uh, Carson, thank you for the sharing that you've done thus far. Uh, we want to continue in that conversation. Uh, we were talking a little bit about heaven. We may talk a bit more about that. Um, but I also so recognize that when you had talked about heaven, you also talked about healing with your children. How did you go through that? Well, there, there was a lot of activity uh, around us with people praying for Brenda's healing, with um, lots of books being sent to us about God's healing, etc. And we read um, all of that material. Um, and my one son came over one afternoon to Brenda, and he was just troubled. And he just said, Mom, I just don't, I don't get it. He said, you literally have people around the world praying for your healing, but you're getting worse. And Brenda, Brenda responds in her, as you, as you know her, you know, smiling and saying, oh, Jeremy, God's going to heal me. I would love it if it was here physically and I could spend more time with you. But if not, yeah. then and and later on, um, you know, there's a book published about her that you, uh, and it's entitled, but if not, and it's comes from the Daniel passage of, um, I'm still going to choose to trust him. And, and she's also realizing that in heaven, she will be healed. Yeah. You know? yeah. And yeah our God is able to deliver us. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And yeah. if not, yeah. so that the three friends of Daniel are about to be thrown into the, into the fiery furnace. Right. So if not, yeah we will still not bow to the right. king of Babylon, yeah. Yeah. nor to his statue. Yeah. So we will still not bow to despair, yeah. hopelessness, mm -hmm. or a lack of trust in God. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's, how, that's how she lived her life, and in, in her, right up to, to the end of her life in, in this world, um, that's how she lived. Our friends in Ontario gave us a sign, a wooden sign that's carved with Hebrews 6.19 on it, and it's placed above our door now. Um, I'm a sailor, so it's a meaningful passage for me that says, um, this hope, this hope we have in Christ, is a strong and trustworthy anchor that uh, leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. And it's this theme of trust was really important for us. It's really 
this whole thing about no matter what calamity you're facing, no matter what life trial you have, are you willing to trust God no, regardless of the outcome? Yeah. And, and when we started living like that, it changed our lives. Like yeah. Brenda ended up living 588 days. Yeah, right. The doctor didn't number her days. Yeah. And every single one of those days was so precious. I, yeah. I just would never want to trade them for anything. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, in fact, the book is, uh, but if not, yeah. 588 days living with cancer, yeah. correct? Yeah. And uh, it's a wonderful book, and it really, it, it described the book a little bit uh, so people yeah. could anticipate. Well, uh, when, when Brenda was officially diagnosed, uh, she started journaling about her thing. And she said, we have taught people our whole lives. I want to use this as a teaching moment for people who are suffering with cancer and for their caregivers. And she started journaling her daily journal, and it's authentic, it's hopeful, it's filled with trust, it's filled with faith and prayers, and, but it's the real journey. Yeah. And, um, and then at the end of the book, uh, each of our adult children have written a chapter just talking about the legacy of a faithful woman like Brenda. Wow. You know, one of the things I, I admire the most is this sense that uh, I, I think you referred to when we were talking earlier about you guys started to plan a little bit about heaven yeah. And, and, and the destination which <laughs> yeah. you're both, yeah. both directing to. Yeah. Tell me what, a bit about that. Well, once you get to the liberty of actually being able to talk about the life after in heaven, yeah. um, I said to Brenda, um, where, where will I find you? Like when I come to heaven, <laughs> where will I look, look for you? And it was sparked by uh, my grandson Liam said, um, does everybody who goes to heaven get a house? And I talked about the house scripture talks about there'll be a mansion there, there'll be rooms for you. And then uh, Liam said, wow, that's a lot of houses. Yeah. How are you going to find Grammy? Yeah. And uh, so I asked Brenda, where will I find you? And, and uh, she goes, well, where do you think you'd find me? And I said, well, either maybe in the garden or in the choir or you know, I, we started there. And we were just having joy actually thinking about that or with uh, parents that have gone on before us. Yeah. And um, Brenda had a dear um, aunt, uh, Linda, who had passed away just a few years earlier. And so just that, um, that sense of, this is something actually to look forward to, yeah. you know, yeah. not something to dread. Yeah. You know, when my dad was passing away, uh, we had had a humorous conversation and I said, Dad, you know, everyone always says, meet you at the Eastern Gate, so I think it's going to be too crowded for us to find each other. I, well, how about we meet each other at the Dung Gate? No one ever says Nobody that. Nobody goes there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but so. I think that theology of heaven must be a critical thing for people going through this type of loss. We need to read the scripture, Ben, and, and yeah. we need to read it with the eyes of understanding that there is a literalness there. We'd receive a resurrection body after the order of the resurrection body of Jesus. The life to come is filled with sights and sounds and smells mm -hmm. and tastes. You know, as you talk about that, uh, my relationship with my father went this way. I remember the time he said, I, I want to go to the mountains one more time. And I said, Dad, we will go to the mountains. And I think that's the joy of heaven. We actually yeah. don't lose anything by going there. We only gain. Right. And for many of us, it's loss that, 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 that relentlessly hacks away at our yes. soul. Yes. Yeah. 
Carson, thanks so much. Yes, You're thank welcome. you. A real thank blessing you. to hear you, and I know it's going to be an encouragement to so many. John, thank you. And uh, thank you uh, for joining us today. And uh, right after uh, this next message, we'll have an opportunity for John and I just to talk about some of the takeaways that you might go with today. Welcome back to Truth and Life today. Uh, John, we just had an incredible conversation with Carson Pugh. Uh, we did. Uh, revealed so many things to my own heart and my own mind and my own faith. But as you were, as you were thinking, as we were having that conversation, what are a few of the things that, that impacted you the most? You know, the humanness of going through grieving and dying is what he was displaying for us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a believer, we don't escape the, the, the rawness of death any differently. We were shocked by it. We have to go through this process. He talked about being angry with God for this period of time. Um, but on the other hand, he also displayed this just deep abiding hope in the promises of God, in the reality of heaven, that this is not the final chapter, that there opens for us this great grand chapter. And that does make us different than the rest of the world. It is that enduring aspect. And, and he said, and I think this was off camera, he told us that these 588 days were the most precious days of his life yes. as it reflects back. What do you think of that? Well, it really is something because, you know, as I look just very briefly through the notes that she had written, yeah. um, there is that enduring hope in her. There, I think there's a level of communication they couldn't have had outside of these events. Wow. What a great opportunity and privilege it was. And uh, we hope that uh, you have benefited and been encouraged by it. And remember that if you want to see any of our programming, you can go to backtothebible.ca and find out about Truth and Life Today there. Thanks again, and join us again next week on Truth and Life Today.